presence, God. Lord, what we couldn't do on our own, God, you make a way. You welcome us in and embrace us, God. God, you call your dwelling place, your habitation, the praise of your people. God, we thank you, Lord, that you don't come to just visit us for a time, but God, you dwell among us. In this place, God, continue to rest here. Touch our hearts and lives. Let your presence do what only your presence can do. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Hey, be seated real quick. Don't dismiss the kids just right. Um, if, you're, if you're a visitor again with this morning, we want to welcome you. Let's welcome all our visitors. Amen. Come on, big hand for our visitors. Love you. Welcome to our Easter celebration season. Uh, I asked this morning for the worship team uh, to give me a, a, a few extra moments uh, today uh, because of, of, of just something that I think is necessary uh, and I want everyone to know. Um, and so I'm going to take a minute or two. Is that all right? And I want the kids to be in here before we get go on to anything else. But... Um, I know April 7, uh, and uh, you know, there was a, you tried to keep it a secret, but I'm too involved in all the details that make everything happen around here. And April 7th, we're going to be celebrating uh, my wife and I leading the church for 20 years. Amen. And we're excited about that. I was told by the leadership team, I can't ask any questions or those type of things, but uh, they're not letting me preach that day or whatever. So uh, anyway, um, but I need you to know that 20 years ago when my wife and I moved from Florida to Michigan, we knew one person, and that was Pastor Glenn Middleton at Christian Fellowship Center in Sturgis. And we arrived at Stoughton Estates in Sturgis uh, with a U-Haul truck and enough money to live on for one month. I didn't have a job. We truly stepped out in faith that God had called us uh, to leave Florida, the, the, the white sandy beach of Panama City, Florida, to the white snow of Michigan. We're still going to talk about that with the Lord when we get there. But People ask me all the time, do you miss Florida? And, and my answer is this. I think the Lord gives you a love for where he places you. And um, I love Michigan. I love Centerville, Michigan. I love this church. But one of the first people that I met at Firm Foundation Ministries, when I, I wasn't even the pastor here, Pastor Jay had started the church, and, and those things, um, our plan was only to be in the Michigan for a year. Uh, but I was obviously going to Christian Fellowship Center in Sturgis, uh, and we were doing some discipleship program, but we hadn't really started a discipleship program. That's where we met Doug and Nancy. Uh, but uh, anyway... Um, but I was in and out of the church over there because I was cutting meat at Hardings on the east side of uh, Sturgis. You guys remember the old Hardings out there? And so I was, uh, I was cutting meat out there because I was a 20-year butcher and those type of things. But anyway, um, so I was in and out of the church. And one of the first people that I met from Firm Foundation Ministries was Cindy Begley. And... Um, you know, um, there, there was a, a good greeting and those type of things. And, and she was like, who's this crazy, you know, little Pentecostal boy from Florida? What is happening in my life? Cindy was the secretary at Christian Fellowship Center. Uh, that was her job. But she was also the secretary just as a volunteer basis for Firm Foundation Ministries at that time. 
And uh, so I got to meet Cindy because I was in the office there at CFC and we began to talk and those type of things. And then when uh, Pastor Jay announced that he would be retiring and uh, the leadership team asked my wife and I if we would consider staying and, and you know, uh, thinking about leading Firm Foundation Ministries again. Then obviously Cindy and I got a whole lot closer uh, and those type of things. And uh, it was really good for her and I both to walk through the transition with Pastor Jay, who's a great guy. And uh, what, what an incredible uh, ministry that is. Uh, but anyway, uh, Cindy became, when we opened up the new building here in Centerville, Cindy became the full-time uh, secretary here. And anyway, she served this church for well over 20 years in her capacity. And I put, well, I didn't, but some of the leadership team had put together a little video. I want you to watch this real quick. Aww. That's the Seventh-day Adventist church there where we used to be. That's her parents. There's Cindy. leadership team that's in the house. I know there's a lot of leadership that are out getting ready for Sunday school and all that stuff, but the, the leaders who are here, Mike and Donna, those type, you guys come on up stage. Cindy, why don't you come up here, please, for a minute. Uh, Cindy, come on up here. Now, uh, Cindy, what we've done, obviously, you didn't know, uh, and many of you knew that we asked you to bring cards for Cindy. Uh, there's baskets in the back for you to put those cards. Now we can bring those baskets out and everybody can see. Obviously, you've got to go through this again at second service, okay? <laughs> and, but we've got a couple other surprises. We've got a couple other surprises for you at second service, though. So you can't trust me, and that's the thing. So uh, I want you to know, though... Um, being, being in Michigan all those years, I always called Cindy my Michigan mom. Amen? <laughs> right? And um, it's, it's, been a great, it's been a great journey. We want to say thank you for 25 years of serving the church, both volunteer and on staff. And obviously, uh, there's some things that have taken place, Eldon and caring for him and doing your job there. But she, uh, Cindy's still serving at the church in a lot of capacities and those things. But for 25 years of, uh, of just serving the church in this way, we just wanted to recognize 
recognize you this morning, give you a little gift in that sense and tell you that we love you. I know that many of the church, the new family, see all these people, they're just first service. Wait, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, don't, you don't know a lot of those details and those things. But uh, anyway, we have some flowers for you. But also, um, some, some of the leadership team decided that they, because they know how, they know how much you love reading your Bible, and uh, how much you spend, how much time you spend reading your Bible all the time. We wanted you to have a, a Bible that, you know, you didn't have to, it's not so big, you don't have to lug it around and all that kind of stuff. You know, sometimes those Bibles get big and heavy and you got to lug them around. We wanted to do something for you that would allow you uh, to, to have your Bible with you all the time. And so what we've done is we have, get, we have made, gotten a pendant made, and on this pendant, the entire Bible is on that pendant. So uh, good luck reading that. Yeah, really. uh, but now you can carry that. The entire Bible is right there on that little pendant. Old Testament, New Testament, all of that. And uh, so that was one of the brainstorming of a couple of the ladies and those ideas and those things. This is our gift and our love to you for all of your years of service for this church. Cindy, we want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for loving me as a son. Amen. And, uh, oh, there it is right there. So, yes. Uh, so you, you can play all that again. So yeah, my glasses won't help you with that, but sometimes you got to go by faith in those things. But, uh, I want to say to you personally, thanks for serving the church all these years. We couldn't be where we are without you. No, we couldn't. Uh, and I couldn't be where I was without you and your love for me just as a son. Uh, you know, you just adopted me right away, and sometimes you you are in the office and you see you see me happy, you see me not so happy, <laughs> you, you you see me cry uh, over things, and uh, we've done a lot of that together. Cindy Begley, we love you. This church loves you, and we wanted to bless you today. Right? Thank you so much. Amen. 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 Cindy Bagley, she's been faithful. We wanted to say thank you to a faithful servant. Amen. Uh, will you stretch your hands towards Cindy and let's pray for her, right? <laughs> Father, thank you for a pillar of faith among us. God, what is a pillar? It's something, God, that holds uh, the roof up. God, it's something, God, that um, can't be ignored. Uh, Lord, we don't desire to hide it. And we thank you, Lord, for her faith, not only in the founding of this church. God, she is a founding member of this congregation. And Father, we thank you that from that day to this, she has faithfully uh, served your vision and mission here at this church. We pray a blessing on her, God, for all of her faithfulness. God, thank you that she is a sign to us of what faithfulness looks like. Let us be encouraged by her faith. Let her faith be encouraged, God, by a job well done. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Come on, give Cindy another big hand of praise. Love you. You can hold on to it for now, but I'm going to need it back at second service. Amen? But uh, if you want to follow me along in that Bible, Cindy, you can turn in it to 1 Corinthians. Okay, kids, you can be dismissed.
Thank you, church, for allowing us to do that. Um, if you see Cindy today, we want you to just give her a big hug. Thanks, brother. As we're getting settled in, will you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Thad, you're going to fill out one? Might as well, right? Huh? You, Thad's going to win the sermon notes winner next week. <laughs> if you're a visitor with us, listen, not only do we love celebrating Jesus around here, we love celebrating each other. And from the kids to everything that's happening, um, um, you know, we're going to have some building updates for you here in uh, the future, but we're just, we're just a few short weeks out from the, from the team being finished with the building. Come on, give God praise for that. Uh, we'll get some more updates tomorrow night at our elders meeting, and then we hope to, to give you maybe some timelines and some things. But uh, we're thinking, you know, uh, at, the, at the very latest uh, end of April, we're going to be able to uh, have this thing wrapped up and finished and moving forward into visions and dreams of that. Uh, but there's a lot going on, and we need your continued prayer uh, as uh, the construction team continues to move forward in uh, that particular part of what <coughs> their job is uh, going forward. So, that being said, uh, I just want to remind everyone that for, you know, 20 plus years since uh, my wife and I have been leading the church... Um, what an honor it has been, and uh, that, that first year, um, you know, we were trying to build this, this original building uh, that we sit in right now, where the walls were there, and Sunday school classrooms were on the outside of it, and uh, we had been kicked out of the Seventh-day Adventist building, and, and given one year uh, to find some place to go, and in a year, uh, you know, the church built this first, we built this first building, many of you might not know that story. Uh, but every afternoon, six days a week, guys would show up here uh, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, and we would work till 10, 11 o'clock at night, six days a week. The ladies would bring dinner at seven. We'd stop and eat. And, and because of everybody's faithfulness and hard work, man, uh, th this original building uh, was built. And that was an incredible journey. Amen. And we were trying to figure out how we could pay for it and, and move forward in those things. And uh, God, God just spoke to us during our Easter sermon series one year and said, you know, I gave my very best at Easter. Why don't you come and give your very best to the vision and mission of the building in this community on Easter Sunday morning? We've been doing that every year. And God has been so faithful year after year after year because of your giving on Sunday. This year is no different. Easter Sunday morning, we're going to take up our annual uh, Easter building fund offering. We don't take pledges because I'm not putting you in debt to your giving. Hello, someone. It's cash in hand. Our challenge to every family is we want you to pray about giving one week's salary as a family towards the Easter offering. Uh, last year, our Easter offering in hand on Sunday morning was like $225,000. Come on, give God praise for that. <clears throat> Why is that important? Well, there they are. Hello, somebody. Uh, because of the kids and the ministry and everything that's happening for our legacy. And so this year will be no different. And uh, we're looking forward to God doing some things uh, that's going to allow us to put this building over the top and move forward into the vision of God as, uh, we, as we grow. And uh, many of you see this morning, I think there's probably two parking lots left out there. So uh, God is on the move. Amen? 
And so we want you to get ready for that. Now, as we start our Easter sermon series that we have titled Validated. Everybody say Validated. I want to walk through some things this morning in the time that I have left just to start us down this journey. And I want this to be a season, like Pastor Devin has said, 20, you know, these 21 days of hope that we start next week, uh, that we are out and about inside of our neighbors, our friends, our families to talk about the power of a living, reigning king and Jesus Christ and the transforming power of his, his life into our life. I want to give you an opportunity to, to invite and bring friends so they can hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I want to lay out to us why the gospel is good news over the next few weeks. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Everybody say amen. amen. And that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And so, Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, here we go. Are you ready? All right. As a new believer, I got saved, my wife and I got saved in 1992, September of 1992. And so, our first Easter was, uh, uh, was 1993. I don't, I don't remember. We could look it up if it was Mar or end of March or early April. Um, but our very first Easter uh, there, I remember having a lot of questions for my pastor, the man who led me to the Lord. Hello, somebody. I was 20 years old, not raised in church. Um, didn't go to church we, on Christmas and Easter. It just wasn't our, uh, our life. It's not who we lived. But I remember that Easter. Is there, is there a picture there? Are we moving through that? There. I had hair. And Eli just thinks he can rock a mustache. I'm 20 years old in there. I think my wife is 24. That picture... Just give me a second. That picture just brings some emotions. You guys know my wife has been incredibly sick for a long time. So, anyway. Uh, I remember having some questions for Pastor Rick. Hello, somebody. And um, this would be a typical conversation uh, on that Easter morning because it was new to us. It was just new. Like this whole celebration, this, you know, had a few months of discipleship with Pastor Rick growing and walking uh, in the Lord and in the Word. And, and Pastor Rick was such an incredible discipler. And I'd already been in the Word uh, from September through Easter. You know, it was almost six months in, in a powerful, powerful way that I had never, ever seen God do some incredible things. But, you know, for me, like... Here's a question. Why, why is Good Friday called good? Well, Pastor Rick said because Jesus died for us. But why is it called good if someone died? Pastor Rick said because he came back to life. So why not Bad Friday, Good Sunday? Y'all laugh at me. I wasn't raised in church. But here's my point. As I reflect all these years later, 
from 1993 to now on that question. Here's where, I, here's where I'm at. Even in my heart, as a new believer, somehow I knew that the cross cannot be good news without the resurrection. The cross cannot be good news without the resurrection. Think about that in our minds, right? Even as a new believer, that revelation was there. That push was there. And Pastor Rick shared with me, you know, that sin led to punishment. Well, I can understand that because you guys know I was raised by a military man. That makes sense to me, right? Stupid does, stupid gets. That's... That's, I was raised that way. And I, I can understand that aspect of it. But Jesus, unlike me, didn't deserve to be punished. And so Rick's like, Don, you can only be forgiven if you accept the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, the problem is we live in a world where this offer seems too good to be true. But it is. And even in my own life, in September of 92, under an old gospel tent in Chipley, Florida, many of you I've driven to that. Well, not many of you. Some of you have driven right to that spot, Donnie, right? I entered into a one-sided deal with God. Where I surrendered my heart and my, my sin to him. And he gave me the gift, the gift of his righteousness. And from that day to this, because of his sustaining grace, I have never looked back. There's been struggles, there's been wrestlings, there's been all those things. But in, in, in my life, in my walk, I've never thought about quitting on Jesus, walking away from the Lord. There's, there's some things that you don't understand. You walk through, you're, you're not grasping. But let me tell you why as your pastor, I, I love to spend so much time on Easter. I, I know that some churches don't start till maybe Palm Sunday or maybe they only have an Easter Sunday morning message or those things. And you say, Pastor Don, why in the world will we spend five weeks working towards Easter every year? Well, the gospel that was presented to me was a gospel that showed the cross and the resurrection as inseparable items. You can't have one without the other. See, as I, as, I, as I write, even college courses now, as I, as I read, as I do my own personal study, as I just walk through some things in the Scripture all these years later, I, I am caught by the modern version that the gospel and the resurrection, is, it's either omitted or barely even mentioned. It's always the, just the last 30 seconds of the, the movie. Come on, someone. And then there's so much focus on other parts of the good news. But let me say this to you, church. How can the gospel be good news if Jesus isn't alive? I'm going to say it again. How can the gospel be good news if Jesus isn't alive? 
But the truth of the matter is, for most believers today, the resurrection is just an afterthought of the gospel. And I want to know why. Why is the resurrection neglected in our thought process or in our idea? Why is it just an afterthought? Why is it the last 30 seconds of the segment? And I know why, because it gets eclipsed by the fame of the cross. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, I need you to put your theological mind on. The cross is the basis for which we can be forgiven. Someone say amen. On the cross, our sin is placed on Jesus. And on the cross is where our sin gets discharged. Come on, someone. The debt of sin is discharged. And because the cross is so crucial, sometimes the cross overshadows the resurrection. Let me give you an example. Most Christian books, titles something like this, The Cross-Centered Life. Right? Walking the way of the cross. Living a crucified life. Come on. I mean, if you go through things, and these are great. I'm not beating him up because I think it's necessary. You can't get to the resurrection unless you go through the cross. Somebody say amen. Yeah. The focus, though, inside of those things is the cross-centered life, the, the path of the, uh, of, the, of the sacrifice, all of these particular things. Let me just give it to you this way. In our culture, the cross has become a fashion statement. You don't have to be a Christian. A lot of people wear a cross around their neck. Hello, somebody. I mean, I have watched some videos. You guys all know Breno and, it, 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 you know, rapping and all this good stuff. Right? And matter of fact, they just did a show Friday in Florida. And Breno flew back on a plane yesterday just to be with us this morning. Come on. Pat, that's how much he loves us, right? Like, thanks, Breno. But I've seen some of the most vulgar. Hello, somebody. Rap artists or what Hollywood celebrities, you know, they, they participate, they showcase, they, they, they show it to the world. All of this unrighteousness and, I mean, just filthy stuff while they have a cross around their neck. It's a fashion statement. Let me tell you why I think that's silly. I've never seen anybody wear a pendant of an electric chair around their neck. See, the cross is an instrument of death. But in our culture, we've made it a fashion statement. I mean, you walk up to somebody, and you, look, here's Breno in one of his rap videos, and he's got a pendant of an electric chair around his neck, and you're going to go, that's weird. <laughs> it's a fashion statement. Can't get to the resurrection unless you go through the cross. Hello, somebody. But our preoccupation with the death of Christ can cause us to run too fast past the crowning event of his deity. You see, the cross is only validated because of an empty tomb. I'm going to say it again. I put it up here because I want, you to, I want you to write it down. I want you to remember it. I want you to take a picture of it. I want you to Snapchat it or chap snap it or whatever it is you do. 
The cross is only validated because of an empty tomb. Without an empty tomb, Jesus is just another man who died on a Roman crucifixion. Please hear me. I'm not concerned with too much emphasis on the cross. We need it. Hello, somebody. You can't put too much emphasis on the cross. I'm concerned that as we survey the wondrous cross. Oh, hello, somebody. That we don't neglect its validation by the resurrection. I need you to remember this Easter right now. I need you to grab a hold of this. See, this Easter, we must remember the cross is just as empty as the tomb. For Christmas this year, my, my wife and I went to see that. There's a movie about a modern day story about Job or whatever that uh, the crew that made the chosen, they made this movie also, and we went to see it, and, and they had this symbol of the, the empty tomb. And I bought that pendant for her uh, for Christmas this year. And, and uh, so she's been, she's been wearing that instead of uh, the cross that she had wore for years. Just like, it's an incredible thought process, this idea of like, listen, we're, we're not trying to de-emphasize the cross. What we're trying to say is that Christ is now glorified and the resurrection is the evidence that he has completed his work. And you cannot be cross-centered without being empty grave-centered. Jesus is not just a prophet and a king. He is our living, reigning king right now. It was at the cross that I realized my hopelessness because of sin and my deep need for God. But it's at the empty tomb that I receive what Jesus has achieved for me. And that is the power to live for him as I live every day. It's at the empty tomb where we receive this power. And I need this church to understand that as we receive a deep revelation of the resurrection, that that is what causes our lives, amen, to be radically transformed for the glory of God. See, Satan's got two strategies for us, church. And he's not going away just because he's a defeated foe. He's got two strategies to undermine the truth of the resurrection because he knows that it is so essential to our faith. Number one is to cause us to doubt it at all. I'm going to work on that in some other messages. But the second one is this, to cause us to neglect it. This is what I want to focus on right here this morning. See, we assume that just because everyone accepts the resurrection, that everyone fully understands this. But they don't. Come on. It's the power of the resurrection that enables us to live as Christians. Y'all help me. Satan's trying to keep us from applying this power to our lives. He does this by diluting the emphasis on the resurrection. Now, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit. Because I'm a Bible student. 
I, I teach the Bible. Hello, someone. I write college courses on the Bible. I, I'm with you. I, I get it. And, and some of you are pretty studious students of the Scripture, which is incredible. Well, some will say to me, Pastor Don, the Scripture doesn't really talk a lot about the resurrection. It talks a lot about other stuff. So why would it be important for us to talk about it more? Well, here's my answer to you. The Bible talks more about hell than heaven, but you sure like it when I emphasize heaven. Y'all not helping me. Do you know that the Bible talks more about money than it does forgiveness? But you sure like it when I talk about forgiveness and you send me all kind of nasty emails when I talk about money. Do you know that the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is mentioned very little in the Scripture, but without it, there is no deity of Christ? He is God in the flesh because of His virgin birth. But it's the empty tomb that validates His deity because death could not hold Him. And if it couldn't hold Him, Paul says, if He is resurrected, so are we. Come on, church. If He lives, so do we. No tenet of Christian faith is more central. The resurrection is the foundation of Christian faith and the focus of Christian hope. And you cannot use either the cross or the resurrection to reduce the value of the other. Y'all, y'all, I need you. I'm setting you up. We got five weeks. Come on, somebody. I mean, I want you to get some good preaching in this five weeks. I want you to get something about the, the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that you've never gotten before. I want you to understand that there's a power that comes with the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God says you don't have to wait till you get to heaven, amen, to receive. You can receive it now because he lives. I live too. The gospel has at its center of events the cross and the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians here, church, watch this. Paul says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Come on, church, this is an incredible thing. The the cross is validated by the resurrection. And we can't assume that people know this. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this to us right now in this church. Why do we focus so much on legacy? Why do we focus so much on preparing and discipling our young people, amen, to lead us on into the future? Well, let me, let me just say this. This is my idea. This is my thought process. I'll let you chew on it. You, you know, you can chew the meat and spit out the bones. But what we assume in this generation, the next generation will deny. What we assume... In this generation, the next generation will deny. 
And if we assume that people understand the power and the validity of the resurrection in the next generation, listen, if we apply that to the resurrection, then the next generation, there will be no gospel. Paul addresses this in an incredible way. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 13 there, just a few uh, verses down from, from where you're at. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. And if in fact the dead do not rise... For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ and he didn't rise, then we of all men are most pitiful. Wow. What we assume in one generation, the next generation will deny. There is no salvation without a living Jesus. Oh, see, you you got to write that down. There is no salvation without a living Jesus. We need the resurrection to have its power generating effect inside of us if we're going to be born again. See, some of y'all never, it's because you don't, we have this book and we spend so much time laughing at stupid short reels and memes. And we don't know what God is trying to solidify in our life to give us confidence to live for him every day. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 uh, Third-year students just finished up the book of Romans. Um, it is an incredible course. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Watch this. Let me just start with verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if... if When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What? There is no salvation without a living Jesus. We're reconciled to God by his death, the cross. Come on, someone. But salvation comes because Jesus is not dead. Watch this. We're reconciled to God by his death, but we're saved by his life. We need, to, we need a change within us that, not, that, that only the resurrection can produce church. The resurrection is what gives us new life and mission here on earth. God has called us not to, to more than just being a people who are satisfied with going to church and waiting for the return of Jesus. 
I'm going to say it again. God has called this church to be a people who are more than just satisfied with going to church and waiting for Jesus to come back. Our faith is more valuable to heaven than that. It is his resurrection and power that lives in us and empowers us for the mission of today. Thursday morning, we just, I walked through this with some of the guys, and I, and I said, let's, let's walk this thought through for just a minute. The degree of our understanding of the resurrection is equal to the degree of how we think about Jesus as he is right now. When you think about Jesus, do you think about him in the present, or do you think about him in the past? Is your Savior just a Savior who lived a long time ago? Brenda, welcome home. <laughs> or is your Savior a living, reigning king right now? Which Jesus do you serve? The one who died or the one who's still alive? Come on, somebody! You wonder why I worship the way I do. You wonder why I preach the way I do. You wonder why I lead the way I do. You wonder why I talk and live the way I live. Because my Savior is not a dead Savior. My Savior is a living Savior. He's reigning and ruling right now in my life. Jesus right now is enthroned in heaven and is reigning inside of every believer. His power is unlimited. Amen. And while on earth, he did not reveal his glory and his divine power to that degree. To only think of Jesus as some long-haired, hippie, gentle man in a robe wearing sandals has devastating effects on the church. And I have news for you. This might blow some of your little pictures hanging on your wall. Jesus probably didn't have long hair. And he definitely wasn't a white man. <laughs> he was from Nazareth, but he wasn't a Nazarene. The Nazarenes vowed not to cut their hair. I know, I'm violating everybody this morning. <laughs> he walked everywhere he went. He probably looked a lot like Eddie. <laughs> Eddie might be as skinny as Jesus if Eddie walked everywhere he went, but... What happened? What happened? I'm sorry, what happened? <laughs> Could this be why we see him as a weak Bible character or maybe just even a good teacher? You see, the world is blind to the Bible's description of the resurrected Jesus, one who is full of power and authority. We have not come to worship a soft Jesus that is portrayed in some famous artist's painting. We have come to worship the Jesus who is resurrected, who is the Son of Man in all of His glory. Yeah. 
When we see the resurrected Jesus, that's when we will fully, fully see hope. When we see the resurrected Jesus, that's when we will fully see optimism. When we see the resurrected Jesus, that's when we will fully have enthusiasm and be the people that God said, I have come to give life and life more abundant to. Not understanding the depth and the meaning of the resurrection will always leave you carrying your cross in the strength of your own effort. That's heavy. And that's why some of you haven't even got to the resurrection. Because you're still trying to carry the cross in the strength of your own effort. You can't get to an empty tomb unless you go through, amen, the cross of Jesus Christ. And you can't carry his cross. That's why he came and did it. He come to do what you could not do. Are you with me, church? The reason a lot of us don't walk in resurrection power is because we're too busy trying to do what only Jesus could. That's called legalism. Knock it off. You can't work your way to heaven. That's called legalism. And Paul deals with that, with a proper view of the cross and the resurrection. In in Colossians, which happens to be my favorite New Testament book, the Bible says that God made a public spectacle of the enemy through the cross by the resurrection. Having disarmed principalities and powers. The Bible says that the enemy, Satan, is as a roaring lion. But according to Paul in Colossians, he's toothless. He has no weapon but a lie. He has no, he's been disarmed. I need you to understand, you're running from a lion that ain't got any teeth and ain't got any claws. You're running from a lion who you think's come to devour you that God has already devoured when you should be worshiping the only lion and that's the lion of Judah, the one who roars, the one who roars and our salvation happens. Without setting our minds on the living king in heaven, We'll never be able to live as God intended us to live here on earth. I'm so excited about Easter. You see, we got saved in September of 92. And obviously, our first Christian holiday, I mean, we celebrated Christmas all my life. But not as believers. And that that first Christmas was amazing to us. The things we were learning and the the gift of a babe. How God ended 400 years of silence, not with a shout, a scream, not with an earthquake, but with the cry of a babe. How God came to us in such a way you could not reject. No one can reject the cry and the embrace of a newborn baby. Man, nothing was like that first Easter. When the revelation hit me that not only is Jesus glorious, but he is very much alive. He's the one who's in control of his church and this world. 
Can I say this to us? To leave Jesus in a tomb is to systemize his teachings and sanitize his actions. Of which Jesus needs you to do neither. If we leave him in a tomb, then Christianity belongs to us to do what we will with it, to make it into our image, and to sell it to the highest bidder. Come on, worship team. To leave him in a tomb, then Christianity belongs to us to do what we will with it, to make it into our own image, and then to sell it to the highest bidder. But if the tomb is empty, oh, hello, somebody. I said, if the tomb is empty, then the implications for you. If the tomb is empty, then the implications for me. If the tomb is empty, then the implications for us. If the tomb is empty, then the implications for the church. If the tomb is empty, then the implications for the world that God has given us mission on is explosive. Church, he is with us. And if he is with us the way he was with his disciples, I will put it to you this way. This Easter, nothing will ever be the same. What? If he is with us like he was with his disciples, then this Easter... Nothing will ever be the same. Why so much emphasis on the resurrection? Because there is where the power to live for God on a daily basis is. Why so much emphasis on the resurrection? Stand with me in this place. Because too many Christians live day to day worshiping a Jesus of the past. But this Easter, God wants us to realize that Jesus is not a savior of the past, but he is a reigning, ruling king who is present with us now. And I think that there are some things in our lives that are radically going to change when we realize that our king is alive and he is with us now. How do you see Jesus? How do you view, how do you pray to him? Do you pray to him as someone in the past? Do you pray to him as a reigning king who is ever present with you now. I promise you, miracles happen when the king shows up. When the one with all authority walks in the room, everything else that thought it had authority, the Bible says, has to bow its knee. And there's sickness and disease. There's depression and discouragement. Come on, church. There's the lie of the enemy. 
I know that because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's going to be broken in our hearts and lives. So this morning, I want to pray for us. And I want us to sing this last song and this altar is open if you want to come and meet Jesus, a living Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, you want to give your heart and life to a living king, a living reigning king. This altar is open. Someone will pray with you. All you have to do is step out. Amen. How many of you excited about Easter? Come on, how many of you excited about Easter? Father, here we are.